possess any virtue or praise, for how could he for how could his presence ever produce any praise or glory if he was not perfect in holiness? For then his presence would be produce a skewed vision, an unrighteous favor, an injustice upon this world. His omniscience would be tainted by his unholiness, for he would unjustly punish people and his vile hatred would come out upon him. His goodness would flee away, his mercy would cease to exist, his long-suffering would turn to just suffering for all of us. His majesty would only be one of that of a tyrant ruler, but such is not of God. His holiness rather is so humble that it shines light on the rest of all of his perfections. So what does it mean to be holy? Should we be holy? That's a good question. Should you be holy? God is holy. This is his ultimate perfection. We cannot be omnipotent, right? I can't be all-powerful. I can't speak the worlds into existence, so how can God expect me to be holy? Does God expect me to be holy? Does God want us to live holy lives? Did God intend for us to be holy? These are all questions that we must ask ourselves. But the first question I want to ask is this, is what does it mean to be holy? Go in your Bibles and find Deuteronomy chapter number 32. Deuteronomy chapter number 32 and verse number 4. It's important that we understand what holiness is and I believe Deuteronomy 32 in verse number 4 serves for us a great definition of what holiness is. It's simple, it's concise, it's easy. Deuteronomy 32 in verse number 4. It says it like this. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are judgment, a God of truth, and without iniquity, just and right he is, is he. That is a definition of holiness. That's what it means for to be holy. For God to be holy, he's saying he is a rock. He's stable. He's not moving. He's perfect. All his ways are judgment, or we might word it like this. They are just. They are justice. We talk about today social justice, but there is only one that is just, and that is God. God is the only one that is just. He is perfect in his justice. He's truthful. He has no iniquity, no sin about him, no evil about him. And he is just and he is right at all times. This is just a great definition of what holiness means. This is what, what it means. It's very simple. Uh, you might word it like this. What does it mean for, one, for God to be holy? It means this. It means that he is free from all evil. Amen. There's no evil in God, none whatsoever. Simply put, that holiness is this element that God that makes God completely free from all evil. Can you say that? <laughs> I don't think so. Can I say that? I don't believe so. Can any of us say that? No, we cannot. Nobody can say we are free from evil. We have freedom from evil, but God can. He's holy. He has no evil that exists within inside of himself. Like I said, if he did, it would taint the rest of his perfections. It would damage his mercy, his goodness, his grace, his long-suffering, gentleness and goodness to all of us. That's a negative way of seeing it. A positive way in seeing it is like this. God is holy because everything that he does is right. He does nothing wrong. Wouldn't it be great to, I mean, 
you couldn't give God a test, right? There's no reason to to tempt God because he passes the test every single time. God knows everything. God is right. God is everything that God does is right. It's not only right in the things that he knows, but right in the things that he does. We should never question the wisdom or the knowledge of God because everything that he does is right because he can never do anything wrong. And as Isaiah 57, 15 tells us, even his name, he says, whose name is holy. I, I, I don't know necessarily that Isaiah is saying that his name is, the description of his name is holy, but literally that his literal name is holy. That's his name. That's, what, that's who he is. His name is actually holy. It's essential to his being. He's absolute in it. Saul, 1 Samuel 2.2 2 says, There is none as holy as the Lord. For there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. God is one that is absolutely holy. Perfect in his holiness. Psalm 5.3. Go over, if you will, to the book of Psalms for just a moment. Skip over there. The book of Psalms says much about his holiness, and we don't have time to look at every single verse about his holiness, of course. But Psalm 5.3, look what it says here. He's free from evil because God cannot even approve evil. Psalm 5 in verse number 3. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord, in the morning. I've got the wrong verse there. Oh, for thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness. Verse 4, my bad. Neither shall evil dwell with thee. He tells us that God is not a God that has pleasure in any wickedness. None whatsoever. He cannot take pleasure in it. He cannot enjoy it. Neither shall evil even get close to you. It will not dwell with you. It cannot be with you. But look over in Psalm chapter number 11. I have you turn there because I want you to turn to Psalm 11 too. Look at verse number 6. And just notice the contrast as I, or excuse me, verse number, yes, verse number 6 and 7. Notice the contrast here. It says, upon the wicked God, he shall rain snares, fire, and brimstone, and in a horrible tempest, this shall be the portion of their cup. Listen to what it says in verse 7, though. For the righteous Lord loveth, what? Righteousness. His countenance doth behold the upright. God cannot approve evil, evil, but he cannot help but love righteousness. He loves righteousness. He loves it when you do right. He loves holiness. He loves it whenever he sees holiness in this world he loves it he takes pleasure in it he says that right there i will i will for righteous for the righteous lord loveth righteousness his countenance doth behold the upright you know what that should let us know that should answer at least one question for us can we be holy can we be right then he says it right there he loves the upright he loves it when people do what is right so yes we can do what is right We can do what is good. And God loves it when we do. And God has respect towards it. Why? Because that's who he is. Does that make sense? He is right. And whenever he sees right, he loves it. Because that's him. He 
You probably are familiar with these verses in James chapter number 1, verses 12 through 15, where it says that the Lord, uh, uh, that the Lord tempteth and does not tempt any man. He does not tempt us with sin, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own what? Lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So God can not only approve evil, but he cannot even encourage sin. Nobody can ever say, well, God may be sin. No, you cannot say that. God cannot tempt you with sin. God cannot even act in an evil manner. He has no evil with inside of him. And I truly believe in that Jesus himself was even unable to sin. Because he's God. He is God. Did he experience a real temptation? I believe he did. But not in the sense that he could sin. He was impeccable. Impossible for him to sin. There is no possibility of sin with inside of God. If it did, then he would cease to be God. He's holy. He's perfect. Perfect in holiness. Well, let's notice a couple of proofs of God's holiness. Well, we see the very first proof back to the book of Genesis. And I love this morning in our Sunday school lesson that Luke brought us back to the book of Genesis to learn about God. And I don't think there's a better place to learn a little bit more about God and His holiness than to go back to Genesis chapter number 1 and verse number 31. How can I prove to you that God is a holy God? Genesis 1. You say, where does that say that God is holy? It doesn't say, tell us anywhere that God's holy in Genesis chapter 1. But you know what it does tell us in Genesis chapter 1 at the end of, the, at the end of creation? At the very end of creation, God looks around, and what does he say? And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was what? Okay? I heard Luke say that. Uh, we can all say the word very good. I think let's all try it together here tonight. Are you ready? Here it goes. It says, and God saw that everything that he had made, and behold, it was what? Very good. It wasn't just good, right? I mean, when God looked around, he said, this is very good. Very good. I mean, this is really good. This is awesome. This is great. This is, we might say, perfect. This is perfect. I mean, this is great. There is nothing wrong here. What does this do? This proves that God is holy. He's perfect. He's right. He's just. He does nothing that is wrong whatsoever. His holiness is demonstrated in the fact that he created the world's very good. His holiness is proven and I definitely don't have the time tonight to take you through Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and show to you all the ceremonial laws and the dietary laws and, and, uh, and, and the laws, the civil laws that he gave to the children of Israel. I mean, we would not have the time to go through all of those things. Look at all those laws. What does it prove to us? That God is a holy God because he's the great lawgiver. He's the great lawgiver. And look at societies. Look at cultures. Look at people that don't even have God as their God or a Bible to their print. And you'll find that people, even in their own hearts, will manifest out some of these laws, especially those last six of the, of the Ten Commandments, in their own societies. Why? Because God is the great lawgiver. And he places it within, our, he places it within the, man, the heart of man to realize, you know what? It's wrong to kill somebody. It's wrong to take something that is not yours. It is wrong to tell a lie to somebody in order to gain an advantage or any reason. It's wrong, it's wrong to cheat on your wife 
or your spouse. It's wrong to do these things. It's wrong uh, to have these feelings within my heart that I want what somebody else wants, even though I don't really need it at this particular time, or I don't really deserve it, or really that I get envious and jealous because somebody has something that... All of these things are written upon our hearts, and we know that they're wrong. We, why do we know they're wrong? Because God is a holy God. And he's the great lawgiver. And he established his laws in the conscience and in the hearts of us. So that there is even no excuse. Take your Bibles over to the New Testament now. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 in verse number 18. Second Corinthians chapter number 3 and verse number 18. My mind just gets to thinking about all these different things that I have on my mind with, with this holiness. But I know if I start saying them some things here that are off, I'll probably get on a tangent and I don't need to do that this evening. So, Second Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 18. What does it mean to be holy? Can we be whole? How does it relate to you right now? Well, look at 2 Corinthians chapter number 3. It says here, But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. One of the greatest ways in which the holiness of God relates to you and me today is this. Is that when salvation came to us, that we were changed into the same image from glory to glory. We were changed. Something different happened to us. We did not suddenly become omnipotent. Randy did not start flying around the room or anything. All right? Destiny could not see through walls, you know? And Caleb did not have omniscience and all-knowingness, though we think our wives do sometimes. It seems as if, though, that God when we got saved, did not give us these particular attributes of himself. But he did give us a wonderful and glorious one. Glorious in what? Holiness. He says we've been changed. This incorruptible must put on, this corruptible must put on incorruption. We see here in 2 Corinthians 3.18, he's telling us that in verse number 14, he says, But their minds were blinded, for unto this day they had this same veil taken away from the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away with in Christ. And what is he getting at here? He's getting to this verse number 18, But we with an open face, beholding as in a glass, a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of God. 
the Lord. God has changed us. We're different now. He's made us into his own image so that we might be holy bearers of his image. This continues on down to 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 and verse number 21. He works it out a little bit more for us here. Go over a couple of pages and see what he says. For he hath made him, that is his own son, to be sin for us who knew no sin. Why? In order that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So God, whenever he saved us, he changed us. And then he applied his righteousness to us. And now we are righteous. We are holy before the sight of God. But not only that, but if you went back to Romans chapter number 8. And man, we could go through all 39 verses and just study the whole thing out here this evening. But the point is really simple here with this. Is that God's hatred of holiness and his new respect upon our lives appears in Romans chapter number 8. That now we are to no longer live according to our sinful, ungodly ways, according to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 18. That at one time we were blinded. At one time we lived a life without God. We were unholy. But as he says in Romans chapter number 8, he says, So then that are in the flesh cannot please God, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Verse 12, Therefore, brethren, we are not debtors to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God... They are the sons of God. And he continues to go on and just teach to us that now that we're saved, our lives have been changed. Our lives are different now. And God's hatred of holiness appears in God's new requirements upon us that are saved. Romans 8, my friend, and really the, the, the New Testament epistles, when you really read through those, those are not written to unsaved people. Do y'all understand that? The New Testament epistles were not written for the unsaved. They were written to churches. And sometimes we get this false idea in our minds that I got saved instantaneously and my growth in Jesus Christ is going to be instantaneous. Does that make sense? I mean, I was saved on, you know, whatever, September the 18th. Um, that's just Miles' birthday. I don't know why that number came into my mind. September the 18th, 1999. That was the day I was saved. I was changed. My life was changed. I was totally, I was, I was, I was a new creature in Christ. God, uh, God gave me his Holy Spirit. I mean, he washed me of my sins. He redeemed me. He changed me. He justified me. He, uh, glorified me. He did so many things in me. He indwelt me. He baptized me with his spirit. I mean, he did everything. He did all this great and grand and glorious work. He restored me me to the kingdom of God praise God did all of this wonderful work in my heart on one day one moment one hour and a brief moment the spirit of God changed me I was born again born again it's like whenever you were born one moment you're in your mother's womb the next you were out <laughs> I mean there was no going back right uh, that's what Nicodemus was confused about. How do you get back into, am I supposed to go back in my mother's womb? I mean, no, once you come out, that's it. 
And you're all here today because of that very reason. It's the same way when you get saved. I mean, once you're saved, you're saved. But sometimes we get a false thought that immediately now that I'm saved, I'm just going to, I'm just, I'm, I'm not going to sin anymore, maybe. I'm not going to have any problems, maybe. Uh, I'm going to, everything's going to be all right with me. I'm going to just grow by leaps and bounds, and I'm never going to have any issues with my, with my former life. My friend, that is false thinking. Why did the, why did he write the epistles? Why did he have to write to husbands and wives? Why did he have to, uh, why did he have to write to pastors? Why did he have to write to deacons? Why did he have to write to moms? Why did he have to write to dads? Why did, why did that Bible have to write and address all of these things? Why? Because the Bible and God knows, God knows that even though we're saved, that we have a lot of room to grow. We have a lot of room to grow. And though you may have been changed in the glory of God into his holiness at the very moment of salvation, don't think for one second that you shouldn't grow in your holiness towards God. We believe in progressive sanctification. That we are on a progress. We are moving. We are trying to move towards the Lord. Draw nigh unto God and he will what? Draw nigh unto you. Some people believe in this thought on the holiness of God that, you know, I wish I had a, a board here in front of me, but they kind of believe that, you know, you get saved, if you watch my hand here, they kind of believe that if you get saved, that I can do it like this, that you, you're here, you're unsaved, you get saved, you get brought up to this level, and then you kind of live on this level for a little while, and then one day you have this grand and glorious experience, and boom, you're brought way up here, and then boom, you're brought right to God. I mean, you're just... I mean, just, or sometimes you, uh, you, you're, you're unsaved, you get saved, and then you have a, a, an experience, and then you kind of have another uh, jolting experience, and then you kind of go down a little bit, and you have another jolting experience, and then finally you're brought to this great precipice, and then you're brought close to God. But I'll tell you what, my friend, if what I look like now, even in my best state on this earth, is anything that I'm going to look like in heaven, I don't want it. You get, you're down here in the pits, you get saved, you get brought up, your feet get put on, get put on a solid rock, amen, and your life, it kind of, and God is up here, you're kind of moving like this to God, and then one day, you're going to die, and then, when you die, boom, then you're brought, this corruptible must put on what? Incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. I'm not trying to discourage you here tonight. I'm just trying to let you know that this thing that we call holiness, yes, is something that God requires of us. It's something that we should do. It's something that we should live in. But don't you get discouraged in believing that all of a sudden you're going to have this experience, something's going to happen, and then I, boom, I'm going to be right there and par with God. It's not going to work like that. Feel your hands. Any amount of growth from today to yesterday, I'll tell you what, is great for us. We need to give God the glory for it. Give God the glory. Seek every day to be holy as God is holy, as we'll see here in just a moment. 
And I don't have John 17, 17. We could go see that. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Jesus begs the Father to sanctify us and to make us holy. But finally, let us see here tonight. Can, God, can we be expected to be holy? And I think I've already put some of that to rest, that question. I think the answer is just simply yes. For a number of reasons. Number one is that God has great contempt for those that commit that are living in an unholy lifestyle. God has great contempt for that. And if he has great contempt for that, that it also means that he has great happiness for those that live in a lifestyle that is pleasing in his sight. Uh, holiness is also, unholiness also shows to us how far we've fallen from God. And this is a subject that I wish I could have gotten into tonight, but I didn't have the time to do this. But sometimes it may seem as if, maybe, what if God, what if God just would have like, you know, cut that serpent's head off, you know, like I did with my serpent out in my backyard, you know what I mean? I don't like snakes. I just cut their heads off, you know what I mean? I get the hoe out. Why didn't God get a hoe out of his garden and just, just get rid of it, you know? Why does God allow for these things to exist? Uh, why, why, does, why does the Bible say uh, that God creates evil? You know, the Bible says that, right? Uh, why is it that when God was like sitting in heaven one day and he was looking for somebody to try to put, uh, try to, try to uh, get one over on Ahab, uh, why is it he listened to a spirit that was a lying spirit? And, 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 and you get those kinds of questions sometimes and, and you, can kind of, you can kind of begin to think, well, maybe God... Maybe there's some kind of variableness to God's holiness, but there is no variableness. God created us in a very unique state. We are changeable, right? And God placed man and woman in the greatest environment that has ever existed upon the face of the earth. And he gave them one simple command. That is it. And we cannot blame God because they broke that one simple command. We cannot blame the Lord. The Lord did not make them. The Lord did not tempt them. The Lord did not aspire them to do such. But we all know and understand, I believe in some sort of way, that God must have given us all a choice because he wanted us to love him with our hearts. He wanted us to love him with our hearts. And now that you're saved, born again believers in Jesus Christ. You should now have a desire to be as God is. To live holy. To glorify his holiness. To speak of his holiness. To tell others that is holiness, to address God as a holy God. The testimonies are very sure. Holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. We ought to aspire that our houses and our homes be holy. During the Passover week and during those weeks in which they had their feasts, some of their feasts, especially in Passover, in the week of unleavened bread, they would do everything they could to get rid of all the leaven in the house. Everything. They searched high and low 
That was a holy week. And so the preparation for that week was strenuous. It was great. And in the house of our own hearts, how much cleaning are we doing? How much preparation? Because you know what? There's another week that's coming. We've had 69 weeks. There's a 70th week coming. There's a week coming, as the Bible calls it, when Jesus is coming again. He's coming again one day. And it's going to be a holy week. It's going to be a majestic, amazing thing. I don't mean a literal week. I mean a time period. We're waiting on that time. We're looking for that time. May we find out the areas in our life that are unholy. And let us address God as holy. First Peter answers the question for us, though, soundly. As he repeats himself, as he repeats the words of Moses in the book of Leviticus, can we be expected to be holy? Well, as unbelievers, no. It's impossible. Somebody that is without Christ cannot be expected to be holy. For they have not the Holy Son of God as their Savior. But we are told, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. And then again, one more time, he says in 2 Peter chapter number 3, in verse number 11, he says, Seeing then, as I said earlier, that all these things shall be dissolved. There's coming another time. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for in the hastening of the coming day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Folks, that's what our hearts should be. That we would be, as he says in verse number 14, Beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. Holy. We ought to be cleaning the corners of the house, of our own hearts, inspecting every part. When we read the New Testament epistles, and we find an area in which God speaks to our hearts about, and we realize, you know what, that's a matter of, unholy, that's a matter of holiness that I need to take care of. May we sweep it clean. This Bible, this book, this Word of God, has been preserved and was written for us as believers so that we might know a holy God and live a holy life. It won't be immediate. Your salvation was. But your holiness is something in which all of us 
will continue to grow in as we grow closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May God help us to admire and to love and to lift up and esteem God as a holy God. His name is holy. Father, we're thankful for